BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, good morning, Merry Christmas, and welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're with us. We've got a roundup here that I hope you'll enjoy. It's some of our best of recent interviews, including the granddaughter of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was obviously an icon uh, within the Christian faith, and his granddaughter, Sissy Graham Lynch, has joined us to give us a message of hope here on this Christmas morning, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you take messages of hope from the rest of the show as well. Uh, We are so blessed to live in this country, and we want to wish you a Merry Christmas here at Real America's Voice and at Just the News. Walk us through what are you seeing because you're very tied into the grassroots activists. Um, what, what's the sense here? Do you think folks are, are discouraged? There was news over the weekend in Pennsylvania, for example, that the lawsuit has been curtailed. It's been narrowed in scope, that there are fewer ballots outstanding. What's the read? I think discouraged would be a good word, I think, but people are also hopeful and prayerful. I think, you know, we have to let the process play out. COVID has taken 2020 by surprise on many different fronts. And even in our election, you know, we saw just this massive amount of mail-in ballots that we weren't prepared for. And then all these last minute laws changed in the 11th hour. So we need to make, let this process play out. He's got legal ground and wait till the electors cast their votes and see what happens. Sure, and, and there is a, uh, in terms of seeing what happens, uh, we've heard from the president's attorney, a uh, number of attorneys that there are uh, additional legal claims that they're planning to make. What have you heard about these additional plans? You know, what I've heard is probably the same as what everybody else has heard. I get the news, uh, my information from Twitter, from news sources like this, and I'm just like every other American out there waiting to see what happens and praying, you know, that discovery. My prayer right now has been that truth would prevail and truth would come to light, which I think every American wants. Our elections are you know, an example to developing worlds all around, I mean, developing countries all around the world. And we need integrity in those elections. We cannot lose faith in that integrity that we hold very dear, that is the foundation of this nation. So that is my hope, is that if there's discovery to be made, that the legal team would make discovery um, and that truth would prevail. And in terms of the uh, evangelical sense, I want to put a a quote up here from Ronald Reagan uh, to put on screen for our viewers. And he was speaking, this is President Ronald Reagan, and he was speaking to the Religious Broadcasters Association, and he said this, if we can put the quote up on screen. He said that, I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? And there have been some evangelical leaders that have been caught on camera saying that, you know, God wants Donald Trump to win. Um, what's your read, you know, in light of what Ronald Reagan said? Well, I do agree. We need to make sure that we're on God's side. 
we to know we need to know what God's word says and um, know what we believe and why we believe it. But I think we're in a time period right now where we look at two political parties that are so completely opposite in their vision and their heart. Like when it comes to the issue of life, that was a huge issue for voters this year. Um, we have a President Trump who is so pro-life, the most pro-life president we have seen in history, going against a Biden-Harris administration that Harris is very much, and Biden, anti-life. Every legislation that's come about pro-life she has been against that's come across her desk. We look at the issue of religious freedom, which is the foundation, once again, for this nation that our, found our founding fathers fought for. It was the very first thing in the First Amendment that they stated, because that's the foundation for everything else, is our religious freedom in this country. We've had a president that has fought for that, that has been an advocate for people of all faith. Um, I look at our education system as a mom, um, a Christian mom. You know, I'm fighting for beliefs right here in my own county and stuff like that. So I think that as Christians, we've had to look at the issues that are on the ballot and where we would stand on those issues. Mm -hmm. And I went in, I reviewed uh, Joe Biden's speech that he gave uh, the night that he said he claimed the election. He invoked the name of God four times. Uh, I also went and saw that he invoked the Bible. Um, he quoted the Bible. He said that the Bible tells us that the, to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. Um, what's your response when you hear Biden who is making these uh, statements of invoking God and saying that it is time to heal uh, and using the Bible and saying that this is a time to come together? Well, he's also said throughout his campaign, especially in his DNC speech, that he was gonna be the light that he was gonna bring the light, that he was gonna bring unity to this nation. And Joe Biden's not gonna bring the light and because only Jesus Christ, he's the light of the world, that anybody who believes in him would be removed from darkness. And I think with Joe Biden, you look at just what's happened this weekend, this party has been nothing of unifying in the last four years. You had peaceful protesting, um, protesting happening, um, just marching in DC in honor of President Trump. And we see the violence that came across them. But the media has been silent on it. Uh, Biden and Harris have been silent on it. And their party hasn't been anything of unifying. And people aren't gonna forget that, that people like myself have been called bigots and hateful people um, these last four years. And I, I do pray though, if he does um, take office, that he would seek God's wisdom. I pray that all presidents in uh, leadership will seek God's wisdom and that God would surround men and um, put godly men and women around our president and vice president always. Sure, and your grandfather was legendary for working with presidents from both sides of the aisle, for sure. Um, and last question, I know that you were very active uh, and spoke out about this question of uh, religious organizations uh, deemed as uh, non-essential. Um, heading here into the holidays, we're seeing even here in the D.C. area, the governor of Virginia has put uh, restrictions. However, religious organizations have been exempted. I think he didn't want to go to the mat uh, with churches, um, and so churches have been allowed to meet, um, you know, with the guidelines, but uh, you know, what do you expect heading into the holidays when we're seeing governors who are doing this and what advice do you give for believers? I think I wanna remind people that yes, 2020 has taken everybody by surprise. It has been a difficult year for everybody. But let me remind you that 2020 didn't take God by surprise. His work is still being done. He is still there. And I wanna remind people as Thanksgiving comes 
to find the good. There has been good in this year. I look in my own life, the quality time I've had with my children as a mom, and I really want to remind people to praise God in all circumstances, but that doesn't mean to sit back. You got to fight for your religious freedom. You got to fight for those things we believe in, like life and our children and our families. All right. Thank you, Sissy Graham Lynch. We appreciate it. Stick around. We got Tracy Beans up next. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey there, welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm still joined by Michael Pack, the CEO of the U.S. Agency for Global Media. Uh, it's a federal government agency that oversees organizations such as Voice of America. Uh, Michael, we were talking before uh, the break about this ad that you just uh, played, that we just played, um, or <laughs> it's an ad, I should say. It's an editorial piece of content from Voice of America um, that seemed to be very pro-Biden and very pro-partisan uh, for Biden. Um, and they, they showed Linda Sarsour on screen um, as as part of this package. Linda Sarsour has been uh, criticized repeatedly for her ties to anti-Semitic groups, anti-Semitic leaders, and to the point where she was pushed out from the leadership of the Women's March because of these ties and her controversial nature. Uh, so what what do you, what's your response to that? Because this was in a product that was under your agency. Indeed. I think that when you have someone like that, you at least need to tell the audience about those controversies, not just present them in the montage. She's there with Ilan Omar and others. And I, I think that we need to do better presenting both sides of these controversies. Another thing leading up to the election was a piece we did on Black Lives Matter targeted to Africa. And it was just a, a talk about how great Black Lives Matter is by people who were enthusiastic about it. But there was no sense of the controversy. There was no interviewing with people who were critical of Black Lives Matter or even any discussion of the ideology that its founders profess. And I think that's really bad journalism on top of everything else. And it's particularly inappropriate in a federal agency whose mission is to be objective and present both sides. It's funded, after all, by the American people. We spend almost a billion dollars a year. We need to represent the full range of views in America all the time. And I want to put up a headline that we put up before your hiring. Uh, we looked at this at Just the News. So this was in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. And the White House on its blog, which was a, an unusual move for the White House to do this, they accused the taxpayer-funded Voice of America of spreading Chinese propaganda. Uh, it took The White House took the extraordinary step of publicly rebuking Voice of America uh, because they said that the, that the organization sided with the Chinese government, gover Chinese government um, about reporting about the Chinese violence. Uh, Virus, um, and saying that China had done a great job, uh, not questioning the official statistics, the sickness and death statistics out of China, even though uh, many objective journalists say that it's very questionable about the reporting about Chinese statistics, but the Voice of America was not asking any of these types of questions. This seemed to be a bit of the catalyst, a big part of the catalyst of why you were brought in um, to say, okay, Voice of America, if you're going to get all this money from taxpayers, then the uh, the Voice of America should really be heard. How do you balance this, this uh, congressional mandate for being objective, but also the fact that you are representing the administration? Well, it is part of the, it's in law that part of the, the mission of the agency is to represent U.S. foreign policy broadly considered. I mean, we are not, the, the federal government, and, and I personally am not supposed to tell journalists what to report or exactly how to spin anything, any particular story, 
But we are not supposed to be another NPR or CNN. They already exist. We need to represent, um, we have to be an asset for U.S. foreign policy, broadly considered. And, and if we're not furthering the United States' goals, not the Democrats' goals or the Republicans' goals, but the U.S. goals, then there is no reason for the agency. So it's a tough, it's a tough tight rope to walk, to be objective and fair and present everything, but to also make sure that what we do is in the interest of the United States. And in particular, we need to counter the Chinese propaganda that's out there. They've ramped up their information campaign, spreading their values around the world, which is their right to do, although I think they too should at least tell the truth. But we need to counter that. We can counter that with the truth. We can tell what's going on in China. On the other side of the of the China service, we have the only Uyghur service, Uyghur language service, and we, you know, and it's part of Radio Free Asia, one of the other agencies under my uh, umbrella, and and that's great, and we need to get the truth to those people. On the other hand, we need to be critical of the of the actions of the Chinese government. I mean, that's just good reporting, I think, Carrie. And, and uh, I want to put a headline also about uh, from, from Voice of America about a court injunction uh, that you faced. So the court injunction uh, barred what uh, this article calls uh, the editorial interference. Um, and you just uh, very recently put a statement um, where you uh, really looked and uh, you know took your perspective and take on this this question of a mm. firewall, um, but also as as you know we've been talking about striking that balance because mm. your mandate is mm. dual in nature to both uh, represent uh, and promote the U.S. interest, but also to be objective. Um, so when you posted this, what was your thinking, and then what's been the reaction since? Well, earlier in the very day I was confirmed, at the, in the last hours of the existence of the Broadcasting Board of Governors, sort of the predecessor organization to my office, they passed this firewall regulation. So it's only been in existence five months, and it supposedly prohibited me from doing things like correcting the Urdu service. So I rescinded this regulation. It had only been in existence for a few months anyway, and I rescinded it. And because it was in, it was in conflict to other requirements by law, I am required by law to make sure the VOA fulfills its charter and doesn't have things like the Urdu video on there. So can I do that? And then, But on the other hand, if I do that, I violate the firewall. So after consulting with the Department of Justice and uh, the White House Counsel's Office, we determined that the firewall regulation was in conflict with other laws and should be pulled, and I pulled it. So people then accused me of violating the First Amendment rights of journalists, you know, and, and I think that that, but they are actually obligated to fulfill this charter. I mean, and, and, and that is, you know, they don't have the right to violate the charter, let alone law, like the Hatch Act or the Smith-Mund Act, and I'm there to impartially to enforce it, I and my team. So I think that's an important aspect of the mission, and it isn't in conflict with doing good journalism. And uh, your predecessors have been criticized by people who were supportive of the Trump administration to say, why did it take more than three years before the president moved to put someone in who, from their perspective, actually mm. loves America or mm. actually wants to pr promote the United States mission or the United States administration um, currently. Why do you think it took three and a half years to get you in? Well, the White House first approached me with this job in March of 2017, th three months into the Trump administration. It took three years and three months before I walked through the door of the agency. 
I think there was huge democratic opposition for anyone running this organization. It had been essentially run by this board, bipartisan board, and effectively run by the career people for the 20 years of its existence. And there was a sense that that's the way it should be, and that you know these that media organizations belong to the left, belong to the Democrats, and there was something wrong about Republicans, let alone a Trump Republican, running it. And there was staunch opposition right from the beginning, from the very first day the White House approached me. And in terms of, you know, we are reporting everything about the disputed election, but if it is a Biden administration that's being sworn in, what do you think is going to be the future of Voice America and the agency? Well, I, I hope that they continue the reforms that I'm doing. I fear that they will reverse them, that some of the people that we... Um, that some of the problems in the agency that we've uncovered will be go back. I, I hope and, and, and appeal to them not to do that. Uh, I think it, it's hard to sustain this, a, a taxpayer-funded organization unless it really does fulfill the charter. And I, I hope that any new administration, any new team continues that, but I fear maybe it won't. All right. Uh, we appreciate it, Michael Pack, and we hope you'll keep us posted on mm -hmm. any new developments. Uh, and even no matter what happens with uh, in January, if it is a new administration, just keep us posted on you know accountability about this agency. I would love to. Thank you very much, Carrie. All right. And stay with us. We've got the White House economist Joe Lavorna coming up next. We'll be right back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, everybody, welcome to this special news report from Real America's Voice and Just the News. And if we're going to have a special report, we better have a special guest. And we've done that tonight. We have with us one of the most important advisors to President Trump, Peter Navarro. Peter, welcome to the show. John, great honor. I admire your work. Uh, you're one of the few people in the swamp here who actually <laughs> tells it right and does their homework, which Thank is you. important. Uh, we're lucky to have such a great team here at Real America's Voice and Just the News yeah. to back it up. So it's great. So you are a vice president on trade and manufacturing policy, been an instrumental voice on China, but you did something in your private time that I think has really served the public. We really want to focus on that, and it's got a great title. I started as a sports writer, so I remember the Immaculate Reception with Franco right, Harris. Right, indeed. But the Immaculate Deception is yeah. the name of your private report where you zeroed in on all of the things that have come to light about election regularities. Tell us what motivated you to do it first. All right, let, let's, uh, let's go back to midnight um, on election day. Right. Uh, I'm watching as everybody else is watching, and I see President Donald J. Trump have an insurmountable lead. That's right. In four of the battlegrounds. It's Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Right. Just big, big leads. That's right. Um, I also knew, because uh, talking to the campaign, that even though we were down by small margins um, in Arizona and Nevada, um, the pattern of voting was clear that, that we would, we would almost certainly take Arizona and we had a good shot at Nevada. Okay? Right. All good. We got this. Dead of night, uh, bad things start happening. The, the Trump red tide all of a sudden 
turns Biden blue. Right. And what we see is these large margins uh, curiously disintegrate into what are very small margins across these six battleground states. Yeah. And I looked at that and it just didn't smell right. My day job at the White House, I'm working on all sorts of good stuff for the people of America, the yeah, workers of America. Job, right? yeah. So a week or so goes by and I'm watching what's going on. I'm watching the coverage. I'm seeing uh, allegations uh, of fraud, misdeeds, whatever. Uh, I'm seeing the anti-Trump mainstream media, Times, The Post, uh, CNN, MSNBC. They won't, they won't look at this stuff. It's right. like, eh, nothing to see there. Or, yeah. yeah, well, there might have been a little problem, but not enough to turn the election. That's, that was their thing. Right. And, and what's gratifying to me is that uh, there's this alternative source of news uh, Bannon's War Room, Raheem Kassam's The Pulse, right. John Solomon, <laughs> Just the News, yeah. Real American News Network, um, is really laying down the receipts, really, really raising troubling questions. So uh, I, I did my Harvard thing. I'm a Harvard researcher. I got a Ph.D. in economics right. from Harvard. Uh, did a lot of legal uh, research because I was a regulatory economist. So. <laughs> what I did was I spent about 10 days locked behind closed doors looking at thousands of documents, thousands of pages, uh, look at photos, videos, public testimony. Uh, and what I saw was this. Here, here's, here's our basic top line. You have a Democrat party which uh, developed a coordinated and conscious strategy to stuff the ballot box across these six battleground states with mail-in and absentee ballots. Uh, and they did it often by bending the law and sometimes breaking it. And this is, it goes way beyond fraud. What I did was distill this, this grand strategy of the Democrats to effectively steal the election from Donald Trump um, into one matrix. It's like one one picture tells it all, really. Uh, and what you have across the top of the battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, right. Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Wisconsin right? right. Yep. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Down, down the first column, it's the six dimensions of election irregularities. Yeah, the first one is outright fraud. Right. That's stuff like bribery where the, you know, in Nevada, <laughs> right. they're giving cash cards to Indian voters. To right? Indian Indian voters. voters right? I yeah. mean, that's a felony. People yeah. should go to jail yeah, no, for that. that. I mean, yeah. that's that's flat out fraud. The, right. the, a, the couple more cases would be um, fake ballot manufacturing at a large scale. So mm -hmm. we're still wondering what happened at that State Farm Arena in Georgia in the dead of night. Uh, we don't have good answers for that. Yeah, we're we still don't. looking for that tractor trailer that went from New York to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania so right. that's kind of fr that's fraud, right? right? Right. So then you go to the next category. This is ballot mishandling. Um, one example of that would be what's called the naked ballot. Right. That's where a ballot comes in without an envelope, out of envelope. So you, right. there's no signature. You can't check it. Don't count it. Right. Well, a lot of those. Oh, we um, saw. We talked to election observers. We saw many of those being counted. What's lot, up with that? Right. A lot of them got counted. Yeah, no doubt. Um, third category, big category here: process files. In other words, the government uh, election officials would operate contrary to the way the law or the regulations dictate. So, right. for example, the consent decree in Georgia effectively wiped out any signature match. Yeah. 
uh, illegal against the state law, bend the rules. And that alone, the, the amount of additional ballots that came in in absentee uh, that, that weren't checked for signature match, that alone was enough to wipe out the 12,000 vote uh, by alleged victory margin right. he has. So you right. got that. The fourth dimension is um, what we call uh, violations of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. This is, John, this is when you treat a Republican voter right. different from a Democrat voter right. or a Republican poll watcher different. So if you go into Wayne County, Thugland, this is Detroit, these are right. where the thug, these are first among equals in terms of observer abuses, <laughs> yep. harassment, right. intimidation, yeah, throw people, people out, ignore subpoenas, put, put board the uh, windows up, put, right. board the windows yeah. up. You know, that's, that's, that's a pure. And then also um, in Pennsylvania, you had, had a, a different uh, standard for ballot curing. So you were, the Democrats are curing their ballots, yep. the Republicans well, aren't, are, right? right? So you get that. Voting machine irregularities. Voting machine irregularities, that's like the Dominion and Antrim County, right. where, where, where they flipped the Republican yeah. County. Literally. But you also had in, in Arizona and Nevada these two others, Novus and Agilis. Uh, there there were some really significant issues here. And then finally, you have these statistical anomalies, yeah. like uh, in Michigan. I just right. did an update to the Michigan report. 396,000 ballots possibly illegal. That's more than twice the Biden victory margin. Right. Um, but, but what you saw in Michigan was a, a, a drop in the middle of the night of 200,000 Biden ballots came in in the middle of the night. It's at 3 in the morning and at 6 in the morning right. versus only 10,000 for Trump. That basically wiped out the Trump just yeah. just right there yep. right so the, that's the matrix one matrix is worth a thousand elections stolen um, and we'll, we'll get into the more granularity of it but that's kind of the big picture yeah it's a reminder and the minute we have before we go to a quick commercial break um, you talked about the Democrats having a strategy I was on a phone call the just before election uh, night where the Democrats said listen Trump's gonna come in big and then it's gonna go in reverse and we're like how do they know that's gonna happen yeah do you really believe that there was a plot behind this that this was orchestrated yeah this is not tinfoil conspiracy stuff this is more like Ed Rollins brass knuckles Liat uh, water yeah. stuff but politics the difference is they broke the law. They bent and broke the law. And in doing so, they're not just just stealing a presidency from Donald Trump. They're destroying the American democracy. Yeah, because too many people right now do not believe this was a fair election. We're yeah, supposed to be the polling, greatest democracy in the world. Polling shows that you, You've got to have fair elections. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about how we get out of this mess, how we fix it. But first, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, more with Peter Navarro. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're here with us. We're going to talk more about what's happening with the Uyghur crisis over in China. The Chinese Communist Party is continuing to repress this group, and I am glad to have here on the couch with me Mr. Sali Hudiyar. He's the Prime Minister of the East Turkestan government in exile. Good morning, Sali. Good morning. So talk us through first, how did you get elected? Because your government is spread out all over. You're here, you've got folks in Canada, Germany. Walk us through your government structure and, and who exactly are you governing over? So uh, we're a government in exile that was set up in Washington, D.C. in 2004 uh, to represent the interests of uh, East Turkestan and its people. Um, it's a 
parliamentary uh, system uh, where local representatives are elected by local diaspora communities and they make up the parliament and in turn the parliament uh, elects the uh, president, prime minister and other uh, high-ranking officials. Um, we claim uh, to be the successors of the former uh, East Turkestan Republic, which was overthrown on December 22, 1949, by the People's Republic of China. Um, at the moment, only our diaspora community has uh, say in, you know, a, a role um, in electing, you know, official uh, representatives. Um, however, once East Turkestan is independent. Um, Obviously, there won't be a government in exile. We are just interim, in the meantime, representing our people. Sure. So how many people are in exile, and then how many people are back home in the region? So in East Turkestan, we estimate there's about 35 to 40 million people um, that are non-Chinese people, Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples. In the diaspora, there's at least 1 million. Um, however, uh, unofficial estimates um, put it at up, up to 5 million. Mm -hmm. In terms of what's happening with the Uyghurs, what should an American audience know? So the American audience needs to know that what's happening to the Uyghurs is nothing less than a genocide. Um, the Chinese government in recent years has locked up millions of people in concentration camps and prisons and using them as uh, slave labor um, to, you know, working as slaves in, on cotton fields to working, you know, in uh, factories producing products that are then sent here to the United States for uh, consumption by the American consumers. So in terms of the people themselves, this has been going on for some time, but has it been getting worse under, and what have you seen uh, from President Trump? Because President Trump has had a very aggressive posture toward China. Is it actually getting worse? So prior to the Trump administration, um, speaking out on the issue starting in 2017, many, uh, much of the world didn't know about the Uyghurs. In fact, many people never heard of the Uyghurs. Um, President Trump uh, and the administration have been very, uh, uh, you know, that have been raising the issue um, nationally and internationally. Um, and because of Secretary Pompeo's um, act, um, you know, outspokenness, people know who the Uyghurs are. Um, this obviously, you know, has angered China, but things have uh, not gotten any better. Um, in fact, recently, just yesterday, the Chinese government announced that it's going to continue its uh, policies um, to, quote, fight against terrorism, uh, to push back against uh, Uyghurs, saying that, you know, what we're doing, not, like the Chinese government is not doing anything wrong, and it's just trying to uh, ensure political stability. And what about the Joe Biden administration? What have you heard? What do you expect to see there? So the Biden um, team had uh, made an announcement um, saying that they would recognize uh, it as a genocide um, during the election process. However, um, since, they, since the election process, um, since the like now that it's about to transition, they have been largely silent. In fact, Newsweek have reached out to them. Even we reached out to them, and they haven't um, reached back out to us. So we're deeply concerned that they might uh, reverse, you know, the policies that the Trump administration has done, and that they might take the same position as the uh, Obama administration, which is a position of just silence.
Do you think any of this might have to do with Hunter Biden? Because we have a Senate, a group of senators who are investigating the, the incoming president and his business ties to China. Do you think that there might be any sort of conflict of interest there? Uh, there definitely could. I mean, with the aspect of Hunter Biden, he actually invested in a Chinese company that was involved in the mass surveillance of Uyghurs in East Turkestan. So he was making money off it? Yes. And has, when you reached out to the Biden team, did you mention this specifically, that concern? I mean, we didn't I mean, we've raised that concern numerous times before, but this round we just were talking about them to, you know, follow up on their promise of recognizing this genocide, to speak out, to urge um, Congress, you know, to pass the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, uh, which has been stuck stuck in the Senate and we haven't gotten a response. Newsweek hasn't gotten a response either. So we saw the Trump administration has put on through executive order orders that American investors cannot invest in Chinese defense companies, certain Chinese defense companies. We have heard that there are some possible loopholes that people are getting around this and folks are worried that with the Biden administration the loopholes could get even wider. What have you heard on that? Um, we've heard the similar similar things. The Trump administration actually has done a lot uh, on this issue. They've sanctioned the uh, several Chinese companies that are involved in the uh, mass uh, atrocities that's happening in East Turkestan. Uh, more specifically, they sanctioned the uh, Bingtuan or the Xinjiang construction and production paramilitary force um, that is directly uh, responsible for these atrocities. All right. Well, thank you so much for letting us know about this. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Stay with us, folks. We've got a look at the Turning Point USA down in West Palm Beach, Florida. Don't you wish you were there? Stay tuned. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're with us. So joining me is Jeff Myers. He's president of Summit Ministries, which targets young people to talk about Christianity and share their Christian faith. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. How are you, Carrie? Doing well. So let's talk about the Christmas holiday. So you have family members getting together, the hot button issues of religion and politics. How do you handle this with grace? This is going to be hard. Everything is political this year. COVID is political. The elections obviously are political. Even football is political. There is no escaping difficult conversations. And what we do at Summit Ministries is work with young adults, helping them prepare to have awkward conversations with their professors at the university. So I figure if we can train a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old to have a tough conversation with a Marxist professor, we can probably help you with your mother-in-law or with your aunt or whoever it happens to be. And so what's your training? What are the tips? So the strategy is really simple. It's asking questions. And the reason you ask questions rather than try to make statements, at least at the outset, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. First, the conversations never begin the way you want them to, right? They never show up and, and occur exactly the way they do for Ben Shapiro or Charlie Kirk on their videos. So you don't know exactly what to say or what facts to bring up. The second thing is, if you ask questions, then you're demonstrating interest in another person. So I've got five questions, depending on how much time we have, we can get through them. But the first one is, what do you mean by that? You know, if you, you and maybe a Marxist could be conversing about justice, liberty, law, you're using the same words, but you're using a totally different dictionary. So it's important to, to recognize that you're, you've got to ask that question, what do you mean by that? 
and even questions about atheism. I was visiting with a guy who, who said, there is no God. And instead of saying, yes, there is, I just asked him, what do you mean by God? And he said, oh, you know, the big grandfather figure in the sky throws lightning bolts down on people he doesn't like. And I said, Zeus? I, I don't believe in Zeus either. I guess we actually have something in common. And he laughed and it led to a really good conversation. So that's the first one. What do you mean by that? You tell me, leave me if you want me to go through all of the others real quick or what you'd like to do. Give us a couple more. Yeah, okay. Second one is, do you think that's the whole story? Because usually the conversations, especially around the dinner table, pop out when somebody says something really cynical or, you know, a little bit snooty, uh, you know, passive aggressive, right? That's how families work. So it just, just say, instead, just stay calm and ask, do you think that's the whole story? I had a professor who said, let me summarize for you the whole of Judeo-Christian history. God is a mean bully. And I, I just, I didn't, I wanted to respond. I wanted to give arguments, but I just said, do you think that's the whole story? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you just summarized 4,000 years of history in one sentence. Do you think that's the whole story? And he said, well, of course not. I'm just exaggerating to try to make a point. I looked around at my classmates and realized they had all checked out. Like he had lost them because they realized now that I, as the Christian guy, was the open-minded one. He, as the secular liberal professor, was the closed-minded one. It changed the whole dynamic of our class. Third question you have, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, give us that one real quick, and then I want to move okay. to another topic. Yeah, sure. The, the third one is, is uh, what happens if you are wrong? Because you start asking people their questions. They always assume that they are right. But if they're wrong, then their whole world has to change. And that's a question that leaves a pebble in their shoe. And they have to, they have to consider it. They have to dwell on it. Sure. And just while we have you, I want to get your take on this report from, it's a Democratic memo. It declares, quote, the rise of white Christian nationalism is a national security threat. This is a document that arguing that Trump has, quote, empowered the religious right in ways no other administration has before, making significant advances in enacting their Christian nationalist agenda. And we saw certain uh, individuals and ideas also similar to this under the Obama administration in terms of targeting Christian nationalism, as they call it. And it seems that we might have a redux coming here again in the Biden administration. What's your reaction to this? Speaking of sticky conversations. The idea of Christian nationalism, as they're framing it, is is a boogeyman that does not exist. The fact is this. If you are an atheist or a minority or somebody in the LGBTQ community, the very safest place in the entire world you can be is in a majority Christian nation or in a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And I can prove that. Actually, as part of my research, I went to a, a gay and lesbian uh, travel site the other day, and they listed the top 25 nations that are safe for gay people to travel to. All 25 of them are majority Christian nations. Everybody understands the reality here. What's going on is a political game to try to marginalize religious groups because they have increasingly become smarter about being influential. And what about the top 25 worst? The top 25 worst were all, um, they were all Muslim countries except for two. And none of them were Christian countries. So when you see a report like this, where basically, so the proposal outlines what it says is they want to reverse certain policies and proactively implement new rules that would restore secularism to federal governance and disentangle entrenched religious interest from federal policies. What do you think they're talking about there specifically? I think they want a new religion to take the place of Christians who've been involved. Remember, secularism isn't neutral. 
Secularism is also a religious worldview. A religion is any set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. So it, a secularism is very definitely a belief. It's just an anti-Christian belief. So don't fall for this idea that we have to get away from being Christian and back toward neutral. There's no neutral. All right, Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries. We appreciate your perspective. Thanks, Carrie. And stay with us, folks. We've got a lot more coming up here, uh, more tips, and including a Christmas album from my colleague that I think you're going to want to listen to. It will relax you. It will put you in the Christmas mood. His name, his name is Alex Nitzberg, and we're going to give you just a little sampling so that you can go and get it for yourself. Stay with Hey there, good morning, and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. So I want to end the show on a beautiful musical note. Our colleague here at Just the News AM, he's got a hidden talent. Well, it's not so hidden anymore. His name is Alex, Alex Nitzberg, and he's got a new album out, and I want to play a sample for you. Alex is an incredibly talented musician. You can hear him, he's playing his guitar there. I think we've also got a sample of him with some original compositions that he writes on for piano. And I would encourage all of our viewers here to take a look. You can get him on Spotify, on iTunes. Uh, I personally went and got his What Child Is This Song on iTunes, and it is so relaxing. It just puts you in the right mood for the holidays. Um, we're going to keep playing this here for the show. I want to encourage you to stay tuned right here on Real America's Voice for War Room. And in the meantime, I want to wish everybody happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, and a very Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope you're able to celebrate with the people that you love. I hope you're able to celebrate the reason for the season, which is joy and light and peace. Uh, and hope you enjoy this beautiful music and this beautiful season because it's all about joy to the world and we wish that to you here at Real America's Voice. Joy to the world, joy to all of you. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs>